Hello, this is Domine from Audio Epics, and welcome to an exciting new episode of Witch Hunter. If you've been listening for a while, you know that every episode I mention that you can buy the entire story in, uh, in the form of a USB flash drive that is cleverly disguised as a nostalgic cassette tape, and also that you can download the entire story on Bandcamp. All of that information is in the show notes, so I won't bother you any more with that now. I do have some other news. We as Audio Epics are going to work together with another company. The Owlfield is a young production studio based in Scotland, operated by Michel Lafrance. Michel has got some unique skills as he is specialized in the creation of 3D audio, otherwise known as binaural audio. It's quite exciting. If you go to his website, alfield.com, you can actually uh, listen to some of the stuff that he's done. He's got a podcast. Um, all of his stories are first-person adventures where you are the main character. And the 3D audio gives you the feeling that you are actually moving through the landscape and things are happening around you. Well, the exciting news is that um, we as Audio Epics are going to work together with the Alfield. And I'm going to write the audio play for a new story created in 3D audio. So that's something to look forward to. People have also asked me the question, Domin, what will happen with the Witch Hunter podcast once, you know, uh, the entire story has been told? Well, do not think that it will end. It will continue because there's going to be more Witch Hunter. I'm not going to say too much about it, but um, we've got some ideas up our sleeve. Now, with that having been said, I present to you the next episode of Witch Hunter. Via Obscura It certainly is a long name for a shop. Ludlow just snorted derisively. <laughs> well... Old Gus was never one for brevity, or sanity for that matter. Those ominous words summoned images of some toothless cackling geezer to her mind. Don't worry, he's quite an affable fellow once you get to know him. The exterior of the building didn't look like a shop in any way except for the cheerful sign dangling in the drizzle. There weren't even any windows and the location wasn't exactly ideal either. As soon as Ludlow opened the door, though, the bright ring of a bell did wonders to convey the sense of being in an actual shop. They both entered, and as the door fell closed behind them, Samina suddenly realized just how small and crammed the space was. Books lay piled in precariously balanced towers that almost reached to the ceiling, at least Half a dozen large sea chests dominated the corner to Samina's right, and many strange objects could be found packed together on bent, overcrowded shelves, stuffed in boxes and baskets on the few tiny tables, and simply lying on the floor. Even the oversized counter, which looked like it belonged in a tavern, was full of ugly statuettes, glass orbs with colourful liquids inside of them, wooden dolls, stuffed animals, little bags filled with strange powders and what looked like bizarre miniature torture devices. Ludlow took a few steps towards the counter, closing the little door in an empty gilded birdcage as he passed. 
Samina found herself fascinated by a huge skull on the table. It was flat and wide and full of massive teeth. The creature it had once belonged to must have been the kind of massive monster that roamed the world centuries ago. Ludlov whistled, and a moment later a pudgy, unshaven man appeared. He was wearing a black hairband askew so that it covered his left eye. His unruly grey hair loomed over his forehead like a shading tree and swayed as he tottered over with an impossibly wide smile on his face. He leaned on the counter and took a bite from a carrot he held in his right hand. Ah, Ludlow, Ludlow, you naughty old ninny-wacker, you! His Evenenborg was broadly coloured by the unmistakable accent of Flatland, a western Evenendale area known for its merchants. This man, who Samina assumed was Gustav Finsterdunkel, spoke it in a way that combined the rapid speech of an excited child with the casual confidence of an old man. Welcome to my wondrous collection of the enchanting and the enchanted. Everything you see here was collected by yours truly on my legendary journeys and adventures in which I encountered such strange and malevolent beings as the terrible harpies of doom in the forgotten realms of the backward-speaking vulture dwarves of Placentonia. The what? Where I fought more than 20 giant crocodiles, each of them armed with six reading tentacles and magic teeth that shot fireballs. Oh, and eyes that could spew poisonous blood into your face. But ever resourceful as I am, I managed with one swift backstroke to kick their leader in the groin. Which is when they got truly miffed and started to close in on me. But just then, just then, as I thought I was done and versnickled for, ready to push up daisies, suddenly, they elected me their god. Because you see, friends, the word god in their language is... Gustav... Ludlow's outburst caused the man to halt his barrage of speech and stare at the witch-hunter for a moment, pointing at him with his half-gnawed carrot. That's right. Did I tell you this story once before, then? Oh, well, very well. What can I do for you? Oh, all right. How's that ring working out for you? You know, the, the one I gave you once? The, the one that connects you to, the, to a bird? I stole that one myself, you know. Lifted it straight from the great Sultan of Vircasia, whose daughter was my concubine until she died of a mysterious venereal disease, with which I had nothing to do with. <laughs> the ring's doing very well, thank you. Gustav's one eye slowly rolled and settled its gaze on Samina, shamelessly scanning her body from tip to toe. It was nothing she hadn't experienced before, but it still annoyed her. And who might you be, you saucy little thing? Why, you look even more comely than the Sultan's daughter, with whom I shared the many secrets of the Eastern Book of... Uh... It's none of your business what her name is, Gustav, and learn some manners. This time, there was clear anger in Ludlow's voice. Samina noticed his gloved fingers nervously drumming on the scabbard of his rapier. She had to admit to herself that she found Ludlow's protective attitude somewhat amusing, Apparently, he kept forgetting she was no highborn castle lady, but a simple gypsy girl who was quite used to dealing with men like this, even when they were as obviously unhinged as Gustav was. The thought of castle ladies suddenly gave her an idea. With a gentle nudge to his arm, she made Ludlow step aside and came forward, 
smiling politely. My name, dear Gustav, is of no importance. As a member of the royal family, I'm afraid I can't disclose my identity. If I did, my guardians would have to hunt you down and burn your shop to the ground, which would be downright saddening to me. It was the most ridiculous bluff imaginable, which was precisely why she used it. Both Ludlov and Gustav looked at her stunned, the latter almost dropping his carrot. He then straightened his back and made several fussy attempts to bring some semblance of order to his hair, which failed miserably as it ultimately returned to the exact same position as it had been lying in before. All right. Right, of course. Oh, your Majesty. Oh, forgive me. I'm sorry I called you saucy. Uh, please leave my shop as it be. I'm, I'm but a poor man. Apparently, the size of his ego was matched only by his gullibility. Ludlov gave Samina a conspiratorial smile and then turned to Gustav. Shall we talk business then? Gustav nodded emphatically. Unquestionably, we shall, your Ludlovness. Um... What can I do for you, or lord and lady of unknown lands? Samina couldn't tell whether he was being sarcastic or genuinely submissive towards Ludlov, whom he had obviously known for years. This Gustav was so unpredictable it was slightly frightening. Still, she had him right where she needed him. Can you keep a secret? She asked the question with an aloof expression, such as she imagined royal ladies to bear when they addressed common folk. Gustav bowed like a true palace servant. Oh, certainly, Your Majesty. I can keep anything you want. In that case, we would bring to your attention that it is our solemn wish and desire to pay a visit to the ghost streets. Gustav lost his balance for a moment, firmly squeezing the edge of the counter. What? You want to go to the most dangerous place in all of Seven Peaks? Why in the name of the backward-speaking vulture dwarves of Placentonia would you want to do that? Uh, um, your Majesty. I wish to meet all subjects of my colleague, Mayor Grundheim. As she heard herself speak that name, Samina had to suppress a shudder. Even the insane subjects? Even, even the possessed ones? Obviously. In fact, particularly the possessed subjects, now that I think of it. Gustav already seemed to have forgotten his newfound humility. Leaning on the counter, he took another big bite from his carrot, chewed it loudly mm. and muttered, It's odd, but you're not the first one asking the road to that place in your fortnight. Samina's heart skipped a beat. Could it be? Did a young man pass by here? Gustav swallowed his bite of carrot. Right, right, right. Um, a Siegfried or Siegfeld or something like that. Well, is he, uh, is he a servant of yours? She felt her heart racing with hope. Ludlov looked at her with a warm smile which she couldn't possibly return. She had to stay believable in her role. Yes, a servant I lost. What did you tell him? Gustav's one eye glistened as he grinned that slightly disturbing grin of his... I told him the same thing I'm about to tell you. The ghost streets need to be avoided. Something is alive down there. You see, in the old days, shortly after the duel that created the chasm, there was a strange illness that affected some of the newborns in the city. It was called the ghost eyes. 
Some children were born with skin as pale as snow and eyes that were completely white, lying in deep, dark sockets. Can you imagine being a young mother greeted with that sight? And it wasn't just their appearance. It was said that these children were possessed by some evil spirit. They never played or made merry. And where they went, evil things happened. Samina furrowed her brow at the story. It sounded like the sort of campfire tale Sigurd used to tell her in the woods at night. Children who committed evil deeds? Oh no, no, I did not say that, Your Majesty. They didn't do anything. But things happened when they were in the neighborhood. Inexplicable accidents. Birds dropping dead from the sky. Wine turning into vinegar overnight. She had to admit it was a good scary tale, but she was growing impatient. It was Sigurd she wanted to hear about, not these children. But Gustav continued his tale, caught up in his own telling of it. In the end, the authorities decided to end the problem in the most humane manner they could think of. By banishing the children into the abyss. <laughs> the smell of his breath reached Semina's nostrils. A mixture of strange herbs and rotting meat. I see. This is all very interesting. But I want to know about Sigurd now. Wait, Your Majesty. If you wish to venture into the ghost streets... You will need to know these things. Then be quick about it and skip the theatrical nonsense. Oh, very well, very well, your ladyship. Well, as I was saying, the children remained in the dark chasm for many generations and no one ever heard from them again. Which means they're dead and there is nothing alive down there and you're wasting my time. She heard Ludlow chuckling beside <laughs> her. Why couldn't he say something? No, your majesty. They did survive. I know because there was one brave soul who dared to make the journey to the dark world and found them there. And oh yes, the children lived. They had turned into monsters. But they were alive. When was this? A long time ago. But still centuries after the children were thrown into the chasm. And so you assume if the children lived that long, they'll still be alive today? Gustav nodded sagely. Do you think these children are dangerous? Possibly. But the adventurer who found him did survive the journey. How else could I have come into the possession of this journal, huh? Who was this adventurer? Gustav scratched his beard with the stump that was left of his carrot, leaving behind tiny orange chunks in between his facial hair. Strangely enough, not the kind of man is what one would expect. Both Samina and the witch hunter stared at him expectantly. Cardinal Vardonitz. Ever heard of him? Ludlov simply turned around to leave the shop. Hey, hey, wh where are you going, Ludy? If you're going to waste our time with preposterous nonsense, never mind, Gustav. I'm not lying! Ludlov turned to face him. You're telling me that Cardinal Voronitz, the most famous religious leader this city has ever known, the man who reportedly turned Evenenborg into seven peaks by providing the seven sacred stones of virtue, was in fact a mountaineer and an adventurer who found a way to the bottom of a chasm so deep and dark that no one has ever gone there and returned, and that he consorted with cursed, undying, deformed children? Spot on. 
Samina was truly losing her patience. This Gustav was obviously a madman, but he had to have met Sigurd because he remembered his name, or at least a similar one. Now it had to have been Sigurd. Prove it, and then tell us where we can find Sigurd. Gustav didn't say anything, but simply waddled off to the back room again. When he emerged half a minute later, he was carrying a small pigskin bound volume. The journal? Show it is, your worship. And what does this journal contain? Gustav shrugged. Mm, not that much. There is a map of the old tunnels that lead to the ghost streets. Those tunnels are still connected to our sewers. You know, so that's interesting. Apart from a few notes on his journal, there isn't all that much information in it. About the cardinal himself, or why he ventured into that strange place. Who knows for what strange, holy, semi-holy or unholy reasons he went there. Samina gave Gustav an understanding look, even though she couldn't trust his explanation. The book might be empty for all she knew. May I have a look at its contents? Well, briefly then, but it is a priceless artifact, so I would humbly request that you... A sharp stare from the witch hunter shut him up. You know what, never mind. Here you go, your majesty. <laughs> then he handed over the journal, bowing ever so slightly on his knees. Samina took the book and opened it very slowly. It had to be one volume among a whole series, because the very first page started with a diary entry about finding a secondary tunnel and continuing searching for a safe way down. She leafed through the rest of the book and found details on the ages of tunnels and staircases, several maps that became ever more intricate and complete as the pages progressed, and one drawing that startled her. It looked like something she thought she had once seen sculpted in an arched door of an old building. It was a drawing of a being, hooded and cloaked, and bent like an old tree. It looked like it had been caught sneaking around, its head turned towards Samina's gaze. In the darkness beneath the hood were drawn two huge eyes, round and luminous, like full moons shining brightly. The look of the drawing unsettled her at first, but she felt compelled to keep staring at it. And then unexpectedly, it was like she suddenly understood this creature, and she knew for sure that it wasn't evil. Instead of horror, an overwhelming sense of compassion flooded her heart. She could almost feel the being's own anguish and regret, even though she didn't know what it was. She unconsciously gripped her chest, digging her fingers in and feeling her own quickened heartbeat. She wanted to help this creature. This is perfect, Ludlov said, pulling her out of her reverie. This book would help us a great deal, Elkgas. Gustav smiled, but instead of warmth, there was greed in his eyes. She was certain he was about to charge far more for the book than it was worth, and she feared that Ludlov would accept the offer out of necessity. She was not about to let that happen. Yes, this book is interesting, but unfortunately I am forbidden by my father, King Boris of e Equestria, to spend coin on such trivial things. It's not trivial, Gustav exclaimed indignantly, 
bits of carrots spewing from his mouth. Alas, my father feels otherwise. He frowns on adventurous people. If only he understood that all I want is to explore the world and perhaps one day open a little shop full of wondrous items. But how can I ever achieve that goal? I have no money of my own. And without the journal, it looks like I will never be able to go on an adventure either. Gustav chewed on his lower lip and scratched the hair in his neck as he listened to Samina's sad tale. Oh, normally I would expect a sizable compensation for an artifact such as this. But seeing as how Master Lord Ludloff is an old friend of mine, and Milady's father here is a king, you're the first customers I've seen in a month, you can have it for... Four copper foxes, which is a ridiculous price. Ludlow smiled and reached for his money purse. The goddess smiles upon you, Gustav. Oh, thank you, your Ludlowness. I do hope you both realize that if you truly wish to partake on this journey, there will be a certain amount of traveling through the sewer involved. Ludlow shrugged. Nothing we can't handle. Thank you, Gus. You've been a great help. No, no. Thank you for your patronage. And remember, if you ever need a hero of mythic proportions, you know where to find me. When they left Gustav's little shop, the rain had stopped at last. They would now have to continue their journey into those dismal tunnels beneath the city. Ludlov knew it was far from pleasant, but it was the only way. The ghost streets were deep down in the depths below the city, and so he and Samina were to face the filth and darkness of those places to reach their destination. He was just about ready to continue their journey when Samina suddenly grabbed his arm. Ludlov, before we enter those tunnels, I would like to go and see whether Tara has received my message. Who is Tara? She's a close friend, a fortune teller. She was the first one I warned through Falkrin. A fortune teller. Samina had been right in warning her then. Being a simple layer of cards was enough to make her a target of the Magicide Act. Ludlov understood Samina's worries, but they were both in great danger in the city. He had no desire to skulk about in Seven Peaks with the Inquisitio and the Witch Hunters on their heels. Where does this woman live? Among the Sintra, just like I did. Just like he thought. The Sintra neighborhood was on the other side of the Great Triangle, one of the most populous areas of the city. They'd have to cross quite a few streets, increasing the chances of getting caught manifold. With a knowing smile, Semina turned to him and said, We could think of another way. And which one would that be? She pointed to the grid in the street. Through the sewers, obviously. <sighs> Ludlow sighed and stared at the dank hole beyond the grid. Going through the sewers would be considerably more time-consuming this time around, since I don't think either of us knows a route from here to the western end of the Great Triangle. And the longer we stay within the city walls, the greater the chances of getting caught, Samina... Even if we are going through the sewers, and don't forget, Sigurd is waiting for you. He was annoyed at himself for adding that last bit. 
He didn't want to be a manipulator. Still, his words seemed to have made an impression. Ludlov, there is nothing I want more than to see my brother again, and you know that. The witch hunter nodded, sensing she had more to say. It was quiet for a bit as she seemed to look far beyond him at something hidden from his sight. Please understand, Ludlov, that if I do not grasp this one opportunity, I may never find out whether Tara and Hans are still alive. She pulled her gaze away from the unseen and met his eyes. They are not just friends, Ludlov. In all but blood, they are my family. Hmm. It was an uncalculated risk and a sizable delay. But Ludlov understood Samina's feelings. More than that, he agreed with her that this would probably be her last chance to learn whether her friends were safe. He didn't know what they would find in the ghost streets, let alone where they would end up after that. Would they find Sigurd? Would he be able to help them find the leaders of the Black Sickle? Would there be a fight? The chances of survival seemed to diminish rapidly the farther ahead he tried to think. Even if they did find the Black Sickle's leaders, and even if they did somehow succeed in bringing down the cult, would they ever be safe again? Neither of them would be able to set foot in Seven Peaks again. This moment was most likely the very last chance they would ever have of tying up whatever loose ends they had in the city. Even though he dreaded the first-hand confrontation with the Magicide Act, his mind was made up. Very well. Let's go. The journal didn't just contain a map of the old tunnel system that led towards the ghost streets. At the beginning of the volume, there was also a complete map of the sewer system of Seven Peaks. It contained notes where the Cardinal or one of his travel companions had speculated there might be an entry point into the ghost streets. Ludlov would have loved to read straight through the entire journal, surprised and intrigued as he was about the notion of Cardinal Voronitz actually going on an adventure into the depths beneath Seven Peaks. He wondered whether some seasoned adventurer had led the expedition and kept this journal, or if it was the Cardinal's own handwriting. Either way, the historic significance and value of this little book was indescribable. He felt like they had cheated Gustav out of it to some extent, since the crazy old man had never had a clue just what a treasure he had been keeping in his possession. Still, the most important value of the journal was its pivotal role in finding back Samina's brother and maybe unmasking the most dangerous and evil cult the city had ever known. Reminding himself of that soothed Ludlov's conscience somewhat. The complete map of the sewer tunnels was very helpful in finding their way to the Great Triangle. Traveling here was never pleasant, but to Ludlov's happy surprise, at least the tunnels became a bit wider and less gloomy as they went deeper into the city. They at last emerged not far from the Sintra neighborhood. It was the middle of a small, round plaza in the crossing of two narrow streets. Even before they had removed the grid above their heads, the sharp scent of burning had been in the air. Considering the risk of being seen, they both decided Semina should climb out first. If anyone saw a gypsy girl come crawling out of the sewer, they would frown, but it wouldn't shock them the way a witch hunter would. Samina? He looked up, 
but she had already disappeared from his view and didn't reply. He took off his hat, hid it under his cloak and then quickly followed after her. When he came out of the sewer, he saw her standing in front of the remnants of a pyre. Oh no, Ludlow said, standing up. There's been a book burning. The little plaza was dead quiet. A sad wisp of smoke hung almost motionlessly above the charred remains of a pile of books. The surrounding buildings were blackened with smoke as well, but that had been due to the inferno the night of Adamir's death. These books had been in a much more recent burning. Then he noticed the smashed windows and the broken doors in the narrow houses, and he realized what had happened here. First the inferno, now this. Ludlow knelt in front of the pyre. Has this city not seen enough fire and blood? Look. He took a ruined book and opened it. The desiccated item creaked as it did so. He tried to turn one ash-gray page, where the black ink was still barely legible on the darkened paper, but a moment later it all fell apart in flakes of ash the words torn apart and snowing down onto the dirty street. This was once an arcanic dictionary. Ludlow respectfully laid the book down, as if it made any difference. Then he stood up and took a good look at the covers of the other burned books. All of these were about arcanic. They want to destroy the very memory of magic. Even the most basic knowledge has to be destroyed. Only when he turned towards her did it finally sink in that Semina's thoughts and feelings were of course not with books or words right now. Ludlow, let's go to Tara's house. Just show me the way, Semina. The witch-hunter's footsteps sounded desperately lonely in the abandoned alleyways as they made their way through the Sintra neighborhood. There was not a soul to be seen or heard. A smoky mist hung in the air, thickening ever more as Samina quickly led Ludlov on. In her smoke-veiled white dress she resembled a ghost, leading him through a world of mists. He was reminded of the Book of Vigilus, a convert to the Church of the Goddess in the last days of Urba Classica. In his seminal work, Vigilus had described his journey into the underworld, where sinners spent eternity removed from the Goddess's grace. There was a passage that described the misty hallways through which the sinners would have to find their way back into the Goddess's grace. The vivid imagery of Vigilus's writings had always stuck in Ludlow's mind. It was remarkable how the experience of wandering through these streets echoed his memories of that remarkable passage. At last they reached a quaint little house. Its door had been brutally broken. The splintered remains of the wood stuck out like jagged thorns. Beyond that, the house was dark inside. If Fulcran's message came in time... There is still a chance that Tara managed to flee before the hunters came. Ludlow looked at Samina's frozen shape, trying to offer her some sort of hope. She suddenly clenched her mouth with both hands and looked down in shock. 
Ludlow. Look. Her voice was unclear behind her hands. Then she knelt down and picked something up. Ludlow only saw what she was holding once Samina had polished off the soot. It was a golden earring. This was Hans' earring. Tara's husband, Ludlow thought. He would never leave this earring. It means the world to him. A deep sense of unease started gnawing at Ludlow's insides. He grasped that some sense of hope. That that doesn't necessarily mean that she. Samina silenced him simply by standing straight up and looking him in the eye. You don't understand, witch hunter. Hans is of Totic descent. He was cast out by his own family for marrying a Sintra woman, a fortune teller, no less. A silvery gleam gathered in her eyes as she held out the earring before Ludlow. This earring means he's one of us, a Sintra, a gypsy. It's a sign of his love for Terra. If this is not with them, they can only be dead. Ludlow swallowed. There were no words. Silver tears, gleaming like moonlight, rolled over Samina's cheeks. It was both beautiful and horrible. And you are a witch hunter, Ludlow. Is this what you want to serve? Is this what you are? She took his hand, opened it, and put the earring in his palm. Take this, Ludlow. Remember it by this. This is what your order did. She turned away from him and entered the house, disappearing from his sight. Ludlow just stood there, still wordless. There was nothing he could say, not even a thought he could form. He just felt that uniform all around his body, and it felt like a disgusting layer of filth he wanted to rip off. He wanted to tell Samina that he was sorry for his associations with an order that committed such evils. But he knew the words were too small for the size of her grief. He also knew that the truth was complicated. As much as he hated what his peers had done and were still doing, he hated the black sickle more. For while the witch hunters acted out of ignorance and fear, the black sickle was insidious and willfully evil. He stood there for a bit, pondering the two evils and wondering whether choosing the lesser one was in any way defensible. Perhaps it wasn't. Perhaps the only antidote was to find a third way, a better way. He strolled inside the house. Once his eyes had adapted to the darkness, he noticed how empty the place felt, even though apparently all of the furniture was still in place. Half-open doors of cupboards revealed emptiness within. And there was absolutely nothing standing on the shelves or on the dinner table. There were still some ashes in the hearth, but other than that, it would seem like no one had lived here in a while. It did add up to a hopeful scenario. This didn't look like the result of a violent raid, but rather that of a hasty departure. Turning his head, he suddenly found Semina sitting on the staircase, facing the broken window. She was looking straight at him. I'm sorry, Ludlow. I know you're different. He approached her and felt shards of glass churning beneath his boots. How did Semina manage to go through life on bare feet? 
He checked the windowsill for remaining shards and then leaned on it casually, folding his arms. I quite understand, Samina. You have every right to be angry. She smiled warmly, and he felt an unexpected glow suddenly light up within him. Stealing himself, he banished the feeling almost unconsciously. I think they may have made it after all. It looks like they took all of their possessions with them. Apart from the earring, that is. He didn't know what to say. If Samina's friends had managed to escape their home before the raids, they still might have met a violent end. Still, at least there was more hope now than before. He held up the golden earring. Do you mind if I keep this? She didn't reply, looking a bit puzzled. I would carry it with me as a reminder. And I will stay with you, until we can hand it over to Hans together. She smiled again, and that feeling returned. He beat it down again. Then he put the earring in the breast pocket of his jerkin. Thank you, Ludlow. And thank you for taking this detour with me. I would love to stay for a while, but I know you will say that we should probably move on, and you would be right. Now he smiled and put his hat back on. And so we return to the sewer tunnels, back on track to go looking for Sigurd and the truth about the black sickle. The candle was halfway. It was another journey through those dark tunnels, and because of our detour we had lost quite a bit of daylight. Every once in a while we passed a grid that let in a shaft of sunlight, which gave us a chance to inspect the map in the journal. We would soon lose this opportunity, so I tried to memorize the way as far ahead as possible. Hours passed, and the dimness slowly turned to gloom, as we finally reached a simple crack in the wall, as wide as two men, leading to the tunnels of the Elder Days. For a moment, he could see those tunnels again in the darkness, but the image quickly dissolved. The walls were dry here, and the feel of the air betrayed that the tunnel was much wider. That feeling was all we had to go on, as it was completely dark, like here. Death shook his head. Hmm, I don't think so, Ludlov. The darkness on Earth is merely the absence of light. It simply cloaks what is still there, whether you see it or not. Here, the darkness around you does not cloak anything. Rather, it shows you the simplicity of this place. There is nothing here, until you are ready for it to be here. Ludlove tried to process that, but he couldn't. Not really. He tried to look into the darkness and see it as looking directly into the face of nothingness, but he simply couldn't. It wasn't nothing. It was something that wasn't yet created. It was endless possibility. As he peered into that limitless possibility, he could see that light again. And what was more, he felt the light. He felt its comforting gentleness, like a kiss from a lifelong lover. There was a light then, he said, transfixed by his vision. 
a light that I had seen only once before. Samina! She smiled at him as a shimmering spark of pure white light, like a star, rose from her upheld palms. She stretched her arms and let the light softly drift away from her, like it was a little bird that she released from her hands. It floated through the air and revealed the rough cavernous wall of the tunnel. It flickered and drew moving patches of brightness on the rocky surface, like light reflected on water, even though there was no water here. Rather, it was the playfulness of the light itself that made the moving patterns. Ludlov's heart raced as he turned to Samina. Her smooth skin seemed to glow from within, and a different but equally bright light danced in her eyes as she raised an eyebrow. You seem genuinely surprised to see this light rising from my hand, Ludlov. Does my magic frighten you? He swallowed and barely noticed how dry his mouth was. He was torn between staring at Semina and at the light she had created. She didn't know. She had no inkling of the significance of this light. He turned to the floating star and took a careful step in its direction. Only once before have I seen such a thing. With a delightful smile, Semina turned the wrist of her left hand, swaying her hand like a ship at sea. The spark of light imitated her movements and drew ever more complex patterns on the tunnel surface. She kept her focus on the light as she responded to Ludlow's remark. Where was it you have seen this done? Could he tell her? Could he tell anyone? Long ago? He had said it against his own expectations. In happier times, when it did not serve to brighten a somber journey. <laughs> he smiled wistfully, allowing memories of Maria to flood his mind. Then he turned to Samina. What he saw was so similar to his memories, it startled him. The way the cool light caressed the skin of her cheek and neck, the way the play of light and darkness in her pupil became a vast nightly firmament that surrounded him completely. He was speechless. It's strange, you know. My mother could never do this, this simple feat of magic. Neither could my brother. I'm the only one I've ever known who could. And I discovered it by accident more than anything, really. This didn't surprise Ludlov in the least, but it still hit home. It utterly confirmed what he suspected. Samina and Maria were somehow connected, both unique and both in his life. She gestured sinuously to lead the spark of light into an elegant little dance. She sniggered as she let the spark twirl around Ludlov's head, rise up high and then slink down to settle right in front of his nose. Such a full, 
bright light right in front of his face. It should have burned his eyes, but it didn't even hurt. In fact, it was mesmerizing to look at. The light suddenly fled from him and landed on Samina's right hand. She looked at him intently. What is it? Samina folded her arms and skewed her head as she took measure of him. Let me ask you something. Or rather, let me tell you something. Before I ever met you, I had heard of you. Ludlow, the fiery-eyed hunter. Grim, callous, dangerous. I've heard your name spoken with trembling voices by hard men. Ludlow simply shrugged. It all sounded so silly. Who is that man? The question hit him harder than he had expected. Somehow, this young woman succeeded time and again in moving right past all of his defenses and reaching into the very core of his being, stirring his heart before he even had a chance to shut her out. That's not who I really am. That's only the witch hunter, Samina. But then I met you. You were kind, patient, soft-spoken. I believe that is who you really are. (laughs) His chuckle sounded like he didn't care, but her words had touched him. Thank you, Samina. He wanted to show her that he appreciated what she had said. Perhaps what you see is simply part of my older self. She wasn't finished yet. But then who is that witch hunter, Ludlow? What is it about you that frightens your enemies so much? What great powers do you hold hidden? I am only a man, Samina. I have no magical powers or great gifts. I only have passion, purpose. Sometimes that can be enough. She nodded and continued on into the darkness. Ludlow followed her. The spark of light led them on, like a wandering star. Tell me about your goal. Ludlow thought about that for a moment. I suppose what I seek is... Consolation. No, no, not consolation. That would be a lie. He quieted down again. He wasn't sure what word he was looking for. Did a word exist that could describe what he meant? And why did he have to talk about this anyway? Was it in any way necessary for their search for Sigurd and the Black Sickle that he shared his deepest intentions with her? Of course it wasn't. But then he saw her eyes, and a familiar sense of confidence came over him, like a warm blanket. My wife was taken from me. I loved her very much. When Samina didn't respond, Ludlow took it as an invitation to continue. She was murdered. Her heart was pierced by a sharp blade. I think you can guess what weapon they used... I've known for years that the Black Sickle did it, but I still don't know why. And so that is my purpose. To find peace. Peace? Don't you mean revenge? It was quiet now. Save for the sound of Ludlow's footsteps. Samina had an ability to move soundlessly that was almost magical in itself. Yes. Yes, that is indeed what I mean. 
And what do you want to do once you have enacted that revenge? It was such a simple question, such a logical step, and yet he had to admit that he had never given it any real thought. I'll probably be dead by then. He looked ahead and saw nothing beyond the floating spark. It was like they were walking amid their own tiny cocoon of light, amidst an all-encompassing darkness. So that is what makes you different from the other witch hunters. She was right, of course. The other witch hunters all knew that Ludlow's lust for vengeance was the source of his strength. His reputation had begun to grow the day he had defeated a being known as the Veiled One. It had turned out to be a vampire, a usurper of life with the gift of mental domination. Where all the other witch hunters had been subdued by its intoxicating voice, Ludlove had been the only one to remain unfazed by it. Ludlove the Pure, they had called him, a nickname that had lasted for years. How much had changed? They continued on steadily through the darkness. Ludlove, you've done a lot for me. You've saved me and given me a chance to find my loved ones. I'm grateful for that. He wanted to reply, but he didn't know what to say. So he remained quiet. But can I ask you something? For yourself? He stopped walking and looked at her. Samina just stood there. Don't confuse hope with despair. Her eyes were wide. Then she came very close to him and gently raised her right hand to caress the rough stubble on his cheek. He knew it was a Sintra gesture of blessing, but it still felt very intimate. Again, he repressed the glow he felt inside. And don't confuse satisfaction with peace. He looked down into her eyes, deep pools of dark blue like a summer night. Thank you, Samina. Thank you. Then he softly took the hand she had laid on his cheek and lowered it. But I fear I can't promise you that. I have one girl to hold on to. It's all I have. Please, don't take it away from me. She sighed, shaking her head. But Ludlov, don't you see there are other things to hold on to than revenge? Samina smiled, but there was bemusement and pity in that smile. I know that. I remember them, but I don't feel them, Samina. I wish I did. The very moment he said those words, he suddenly realized they weren't true. Samina gave him a puzzling look and moved on. Minutes passed in silence until a very faint grey light became visible at the end of the tunnel. It was tiny at first, but with each step it grew until they reached the end of the tunnel, which led to a narrow stone platform, just wide enough for two people to stand on it. When they arrived there, they found themselves at the edge of a ravine so deep, so dark, they could not see the bottom. On the other side, they could only see a wall of rock, scarred by dark cracks, shadowy holes and jagged outcroppings, but at least there was some daylight, even if it came from far above. A narrow, irregular staircase hewn into the rock challenged them to venture down. 
the steps were so narrow that Ludlow could easily bridge six of them with a single step. But they were so steep that he would tumble down and die if he tried that. Samina cupped her hands and held her light aloft like a sacred relic. Slowly, elegantly and soundlessly, she took the steps down. The witch hunter followed in her wake, using his hands to seek support from the rock wall. The descent was arduous and slow, and no words passed between them as they made their way. At last, the staircase ended in what could only be the ghost streets. It wasn't entirely dark here as Ludlow had expected at first. Rather, even what little light there was that didn't come from Samina's craft looked dead. It was grey and still, like it had given up trying to escape from this place centuries ago. The black walls of the ravine rose so high now that daylight was nothing more than a thin strip of brightness, a dazzling height above. They called it the ghost streets, but there were no buildings here. There were only holes and cracks in the rocks where something might have lived long ago. It seemed impossible to think anything might survive down here. There was a perfect stillness to the place that belied all hope of life. And on top of that, there was the oppressive sense of history. Samina broke the silence, her voice hoarse with disuse. What could Sigurd have come to seek here? I've never seen such a lonely place. Ludlov didn't respond. Instead, he drew his pistol and started loading it. Is that really necessary? Ludlov didn't face her as he finished loading his weapon. It will be too late to decide that if we are ambushed, Samina. I have to be prepared. He could feel her disapproving glare in the back of his neck as he scanned the environment, trying to gauge every possible entry point for some creature from which to emerge. The cracks in the wall could lead to any number of unseen tunnels, after all. He had no intention of being surprised by unpleasant visitors. He remained close to Samina in order to protect her from danger. The young witch started to walk, but Ludlov stopped her with a stern hand on her shoulder. She turned to him and he held up his hand, listening intently. Somewhere, not too far from their position, he could hear the soft sound of tiny pebbles and gravel raining down. Ludlov remained perfectly still, shielding Samina and listening closely. Slow seconds passed in dead silence. Then he heard movement again, from the same direction. Something was trying to sneak up on them. It was then that Ludlov made a decision. Aiming his weapon at least ten feet in front of him, he deliberately shot the loose gravel. The pebble splashed up like a puddle disturbed by a stone thrown by a child. The noise of the shot was deafening. Stop this, Ludlov! Of course he would stop. He could only shoot one bullet, and he had decided to use it on a warning shot, hoping that the creature lurking in the mists would be deterred by it. 
something small caught his eye, moving near the top of a nearby boulder, then disappearing. Were those fingers? They had displayed the exact same dark grey hue as the rocks themselves. Come from behind that boulder! Ludlov's echo mocked him. Show yourself! I am the hunter in the darkness. I see clearly through the shadows. I am Ludlov, weapon of the light. Don't make me destroy you. He could hear frantic, shallow breathing. It sounded small somehow, like a child. My weapon is loaded. Ludlov was lying, aiming his weapon at the boulder. Samina jerked his arm away. No, Ludlov! The witch hunter ignored her stern words, distracted by the creature that quickly sped from behind the boulder to a dark hole a little farther on. There. Did you see that? Yes, I saw it. Tense silence. Then Ludlow felt his skin grow cold. The eyes. Two full moons hovering in the darkness, without pupils, only a pallid glare of white that slowly turned brighter until it was enough to gradually reveal aspects of the thing itself. A large head and two spindly, unnaturally long arms. Whatever you do, Ludlov, don't load that pistol again. He wouldn't. He only had two bullets left. The creature emerged out of its hiding place, revealing itself. The sight of this being filled Ludlov with pity. It was small and had the proportions of a child but the decrepit skin of an ancient man. To Ludlov's surprise, the being didn't move hunched over like an ape, but held its back straight and its head upright as it made small, graceful steps toward him. Stay where you are, creature. He aimed the pistol at the creature, not with the intention to shoot, but merely to intimidate the little being. Samina pulled his arm in protest. Distracted, he looked at her and then felt his hat being knocked from his head. A moment later, there was a bright flash and an explosion of pain in the back of his skull. Dropping his weapon, he instinctively reached for his head. A second being right behind him had hit him on the head with a stone and taken his weapon right away. The emaciated and deformed child hastened away from him carrying his pistol. It went to join a whole group of the childlike creatures that now emerged from the greyness some fifty yards away. The beings were slow in their movements, huddling together and staring at Ludlov and Samina with their moon eyes that glinted in the gloom. Catch them is what you must do, a voice cried from somewhere in the back of the gathered crowd. At once, Several more of the little beings emerged from behind rocks and out of crevices Ludlov hadn't even noticed, clawing at them with their tender arms, hoping to overwhelm them. As he was approached by one of the creatures, Ludlov kicked it in the chest, 
sending it hurtling down on its back. He felt a pang of remorse and pity, but he knew he couldn't take any risks. He pushed aside another of the creatures and took Samina by the hand. Come. They ran away through the opening he had just created, back in the direction of the staircase. The shrill cries of the beings pursuing them sounded more pathetic than threatening, but they weren't far behind. When they arrived at the staircase, Samina pulled Ludlov's arm again, halting him. We can't just run back up the staircase, Ludlov. She was right. If these children were to pursue them higher on the staircase, their superior numbers would easily be enough to topple them off and send them down to their deaths. Ludlov turned and stood with his back to the staircase, Samina to his left. The creatures had slowed down. They knew they had them cornered and formed a half-circle around them, staying some five yards out of reach. They were at a safe distance now, but those moon-like eyes were impossible to read. For all Ludlov knew, they might leap at him and Semina and devour them both. He had to keep them at bay for as long as possible, and he had precisely the right means with him to do just that. The Parslovanian invention, known as Kurova powder. When Semina saw him reaching for something in the pouch at his belt, she looked at him sternly. I'm not going to hurt them, Semina. He maintained a warning gaze at the creatures while he spoke. He felt blindly in his pouch for the tiny pigskin bag that contained three glass orbs the size of thimbles. He found the bag and quickly fingered it open to take out the orbs. Stay back. What are those? You should know, Zamina. A mixture of herbs. He kept his eye on the children, but he could feel her puzzled glare in his neck. For a few moments... Nothing happened. There was just a tense silence, passing between Ludlov, Samina, and the creatures surrounding them. Then one of them cocked its head like a curious animal and took a careful step forward. Ludlov immediately threw all three of the glass orbs into the gathered crowds. They burst with a deafening crackle like fireworks, followed by a loud hiss as an impenetrable smoke curtain rose up completely hiding Ludlov and Samina from the creature's view. It's just smoke, Samina. Fear and surprise alone will keep them at a distance. He could already hear their little feet pattering behind the smoke as they fled. Very nice, Ludlov, but what do you intend to do now? Run back up the staircase and give up? Or stay here until the smoke clears? We'll stay here for now. This was a warning. If they make one more threatening move, then... I'll have to use violence. Samina looked at him like he was giving her a headache. Wait. It was the same voice that had issued the command to catch them. A high-pitched and raspy voice. Stay at a distance, creature! I'm warning you! Ludlov peered through the smoke, but he couldn't see anything. He reached for his rapier. Samina shook her head. No, Ludlov. Not like this. She gestured at the smoke screen, which dissipated almost immediately. Ludlov breathed in sharply. She had done that. The figure of the creature that had called at them emerged, approaching at a careful pace. Then he noticed that Samina was walking forward to meet the creature. 
a hunchbacked wretch with a tiny deformed left eye contrasted by a huge moon-like right eye. Samina, don't trust those creatures. He knew she would ignore him. Then her voice suddenly sounded very different, like she was standing right next to him, and yet she was far away in the distance at the same time. Amori amaru namanta, mana ramani, mana ramani, amaru namanta. The sound of Arcanic. Oh, how the mere sound of the language softened his heart. Hearing it spoken in Samina's voice caused him to freeze in astonishment and awe. The creature, too, had stopped dead in its tracks and was looking up at her in admiration. Do not be frightened. We are friends. She extended her hand towards the being. Slowly, the creature reached for it and clasped it. It didn't shake her hand, but only stared in reverence at the smoothness of her skin. Samina is my name. We come from the world above. We mean no harm to you. The creature slowly let her hand go. Samina! Then it turned its torso, its long arms dangling like dead vines, and took in the sight of Ludlove. Your friend carried a Deathbringer. His pistol? The creature nodded. We took it, but fear us not. We fear all Deathbringers. That is why we took it away. Ludlove wasn't quite sure why, but he believed it. He took a few steps towards the being. Are you the leader here? Something reminiscent of a smile appeared. As ugly as it was, it did light up the creature's face. Leaders are not what we have. The wisest among us. That is who I am. Very well then, listen. I will not hurt you. But I need my pistol back. The creature narrowed its huge eye and seemed to be taking measure of him for a moment. Then it turned its entire body, as its head was directly attached to its shoulder without a neck in between. Bring the hunter his death bringer. There were fearful cries of protest from the distance, but the wisest had decided. Honest is what his eyes are. He turned again to Ludlow. Fear is what we must not have. He took a bow before Samina. And you, fair one, of a different kind, is what you are. What do you mean? He scratched his head. The movements of those long arms were so strange and unnatural, Ludlow thought. Not like others from above. Not like him. The creature gestured in Ludlow's direction. I'm a witch hunter. A friend. Hmm. <laughs> a hunter friend. <laughs> Never was the time when we met such a one. Samina went to stand next to Ludlow and clasped his shoulder. 
Ludlow is a friend. He felt strengthened when she said that. Her earlier dissatisfaction with him seemed to have dissipated, much like the smokescreen he had created. Still, he felt a bit silly for his unsuccessful attempts at threatening the beings, when Samina's kinder approach had obviously worked much better. The fair one is whom I will believe. Knowledge is what you seek, is what I presume. Yes, it is. The storyteller is the one who gives knowledge. Rudlov saw the hope in Samina's eyes. He didn't want that hope to be in vain. He bent down to meet the creature's eye like he was talking to a human child. He had decided that this being was no child of any kind, though. Can this storyteller be found? The creature's entire face wrinkled up as it smiled. I am who the storyteller is, hunter friend. Well, that was a relief. Ludlow couldn't help but return the creature's smile. Apparently, sometimes things were actually simpler than expected. The being pointed a bony finger up to where the sky was, hidden somewhere high above behind a veil of mist. Up there is where you are from. Therefore, the following is what I must tell you. Is the story that speaks of the blood of the maiden one that is known to you? Of course I know that story. When Lucas murdered her, the blood of the maiden petrified and turned into the seven sacred stones. No! The storyteller spat. His sudden burst of anger was utterly unexpected. He pointed at Ludlow with an admonishing finger. That is what is wrong. The witch hunter nodded, straightened, and smiled at Samina. Fascinating. What is? Clearly, living down here for so long, these creatures have formed their own mythology about the maiden. The storyteller made a fist and kicked the dust beneath him like a petulant child. It was very unbecoming of the creature. He had seemed wiser than the others, but now he wailed like an infant. Samina put a gentle hand on his shoulder, calming him. What's wrong? Wrong? Oh, wrong. You are those who have formed your own myth. Ludlow shrugged. What did it matter what the creature's opinion was on history and theology? They were on a mission. Be that as it may, we are looking for a young man. Suddenly, the storyteller moved forward and punched him in his left leg. Listening is what you must do. The truth is what you must learn. <sighs> Ludlow sighed audibly. He was getting slightly annoyed. What makes you so certain that your version of the truth is the correct one anyway? It had sounded more condescending than he had intended it. The storyteller's larger eye lit up from within and expanded even more as he stared at Ludlow and took a deep breath. Seeing it with my own eyes is what I have, hunter friend. Tell us, please. Ludlow thought he saw a glance of appreciation in the storyteller's features, 
difficult though it was to read those luminous, empty eyes devoid of pupils. Then, suddenly, the storyteller turned away and gestured for Ludlov and Samina to follow. The other creatures stood huddled together again farther away. Return to your holes is what you should do. The gate is what I will show them. Wordlessly, they all scuttled away and disappeared before Ludlov had a chance to figure out where they had crawled behind, beneath or into. This storyteller turned out to be a leader by any definition known to Ludlov after all. He regarded the creature again. The storyteller. He had an ape-like quality as he moved at frightening speed, forcing Ludlov and Samina to keep up at a steady pace as they followed. Their road was simply straight ahead, further along the length of the chasm. As they continued, the grey shroud surrounding them tightened. Ludlov had no idea where the mist came from, if it was mist. It seemed a little too dull, too grey, and too dry somehow to be mist. Perhaps it was some sort of magical residue from the great cataclysm that had created this place centuries ago. Their guide was nothing more than a ghostly silhouette, crawling over rubble, jumping over cracks in the stone and quickly moving ahead of them. At last he made his way to the top of a very large boulder, held still and gestured grandly, like a mountebank announcing some spectacular new medicine at a village fair. Behold the gate! Samina was just ahead of Ludlov, already near the top of the large boulder. He could hear her gasping above him, and quickly climbed to the top of the boulder himself. There was a huge, sharply jagged rock, the size of a village chapel, sticking out of the ash-strewn ground like a giant stake emerging out of the chest of a vampire who had been violently stabbed in the back. The rock was of a glittering black substance. Volcanic glass, perhaps. The side in front of them was made smoother than the rest of the spike. There was a door there, which was only visible due to the finger-wide edges drawing its shape. On the door and around it were beautifully detailed reliefs, depicting figures and landscapes. It's an overview of the universe. Samina had said it before Ludlov had had a chance to study the reliefs. She was right. There were four layers there. At the top, near the thin, spiky end of the rock, there were clouds and a throne held by a beautiful, statuesque woman. Undoubtedly, she was supposed to represent the goddess. But where was the head? Had the art simply been damaged by time? Or had the head been removed on purpose? Ludlov knew that some older strains of his faith held that any depiction of the goddess was blasphemous, for her beauty could not possibly be captured by any mortal artist, and to attempt such a thing was a villainous sort of arrogance that could never be allowed. But if that had been the reason for the damage, why leave the body intact? If anything, the removal of her head seemed more like cruel mockery. Beneath the throne of the goddess, there was the earth, populated by all sorts of human beings, craftsmen, priests, servants, fishermen, soldiers. But there was something wrong with them. A fisherman had caught a naked woman in his nets. 
A soldier was threatening a child. A priest was hitting his maid. On every face, even the children, there was a sardonic grin. Were these depictions of human sinfulness? Beneath the human world was supposed to be the abyss. For as long as there had been people, rumors had existed that the world of unforgiven spirits was beneath their feet. In this engraving, there were ghostly creatures shown inhabiting that layer. Their eyes were huge and bulbous, like those of the children of the ghost streets, and their faces were long and thin. They stared into nothingness with overwhelming sadness. It was uncomfortable to look at them, even for Ludlow, who had faced so many demons in his life. Even more unpleasant, and yet more impressive, was the bottom layer of the engraving. The artist had given more room and attention to this part than to any of the others. What was shown here could only be a representation of Lucas himself. The grotesque demon, winged and horned, held his arms up to the sky wrapped in chains. He hungrily clawed upward, ready to devour the world. Four layers. The image had shocked Ludlow for reasons he didn't fully comprehend. Four layers. Usually they only show three. Most artists are afraid to depict Lucas. The irony was not lost to him that in the modern world far above them, images of the goddess were plentiful, but Lucas was never shown, out of fear. This horrific artwork didn't belong in any church in any era of the city, but at the same time it reminded Ludlow of the fact that in some distant past the treatments had been the other way around. Did Seven Peaks grant the devil too much respect? Did this mean they didn't respect the goddess enough? He had no answers. Who are those beings in the abyss? There was sadness in the creature's raspy voice as he answered. Sometimes is when they come. Always when red is the color of the moon. A strange thing is what happens here in our streets. Ludlow raised his eyebrows. The red moon... That only happens once every 30 years. Little meaning is what years have for us here. Upon hearing that reply, Ludlow thought of the sadness of these beings' existence. Day by day, year by year, living in a world without color, without life, without even death. What happens when the red moon comes, friend? Mists. And darkness, and out of the gray, the wailing is what we hear. Singing is what it is. One song, always just one. And then is that we see them. Shadows is what they are, tall, thin, and sad. Their eyes, eyes like faded pearls, empty mirrors, the cursed gifts 
of eternity is what they reflect. So much sadness is what they portray. Who are they? Samina gently stroked the creature's shoulder. He turned from her and jumped down from the boulder. He landed amidst the clatter of pebbles and the rush of sliding stones and dust. Then he moved to the relief carving on the door and reached upward with his long arm to gently slide his fingers over the figures of the ghosts in the abyss. Their own damnation is that of which they sing. Eternity is the price they must pay. A single sin is why they must. Curious, Ludlove made his way down as well and studied the carving up close. What sin did they commit, storyteller? Turning his whole body, their little companion looked up at Ludlove. The storyteller is what the others call me. All stories is what I hear. The shadow stories also. My poor family is whom I tell them to. Suddenly, the storyteller clasped Ludlow's hand firmly and looked at him, like he was about to warn him for some great danger. About their curse is what the shadows sing. These stories are the ones I tell. Stories of youthful foolishness, broken promises, one single mistake, human stories. Forgiveness is what they sought, redemption from their sins. The wrong god is whom they asked, the black sickle, and now... Forever is the price they pay. Just hearing the odious name tugged at Ludlow's heart and twisted his stomach. Samina looked at him with wide eyes. He looked back in silence, his jaw clenched. A red moon was here once. That was when I saw the shadows. But there was more that I saw. A man like you was here. Above was where he had come from. What he did was what we could not, conversing with the shadows. Could that have been Cardinal Voronitz? Seven stones was what the shadows gave him. Suddenly all was quiet and time stood still. For a moment he couldn't feel his body. He only saw the creature in front of him. Its bizarre eyes and its tiny crooked teeth. Seven stones. What did they look like? Glowing is what they were. Like the sun at dusk. Powerful. Ludlove frowned. How was this at all possible? The seven sacred stones could not have come from the darkness. The creature stabbed its index finger at Ludlow's chest. No, not sacred. Their power is what I felt. Their power stabbed.
gang of rotting corpses and the hatred of a thousand centuries. Not sacred. There was silence. Samina touched the glistening black rock. I think you were right about the stones, Ludlov. He shook his head. No, Samina. I thought they were perhaps just stones. Lifeless objects. I had never thought of this. Never. He felt stiff as he tried to move to sit down somewhere. He couldn't. He could just stand there, petrified. What this means is that the sacred stones are evil. Powerful and evil. So the seven sacred stones of virtue were seven evil stones? What did it mean? Everything seemed to move around Ludlow. It was like the whole world was turning on its head, and he was standing somewhere at the center in the eye of the storm, just observing it helplessly. He couldn't imagine what such a revelation would mean to the world. For a moment he refused to accept it, but then something inside of him took over. It wasn't a voice or even a conscious thought. It was just the single stroke of a hammer that coincided with a single beat of his heart. Absolute certainty. The puzzle fit. As horrifying as it was, Everything became clear now. Everything looked different now in this cold, hard light. The disappearance of the archaic language. The Voronitsian editions of the Scriptura Sancta. The city's change of name from Ivenenborg to Seven Peaks. This humble creature spoke the truth. Cardinal Voronitz had been the most brilliant forger of history of all time, as well as a servant of Lucas. Storyteller, have you seen my brother? Samina's question pulled Ludlow out of his frantic thoughts. Her voice had been brittle and frightened. Ludlow saw her pleading look into the storyteller's eye. Samina's brother, that was still why they were here. He would help her find him, if nothing else in the world made sense, at least that did. It was an honest task. None from above like you, fair one. Only the masked ones. That moniker suddenly made a peculiar impression on Ludlow. What did it mean? Masked ones. Why did something stir deep within him when he heard that name? You didn't see a young man? Then how can you know what the world believes about the stones in the first place? The storyteller slowly shook his head. Sometimes it's the masked ones we hear speak about the world above. And so it is that I have learned that it is a lie you believe. That seven stones came down from the heavens is what you think. No, it's what I know. They are stones from hell. Hell. Ludlow hadn't heard that word in a long time. It only appeared in ancient writings, 
dating as far back as the days when Wolfen himself walked the earth. It was always associated with Lucas, but the meaning of the word wasn't so clear. Some scholars had thought it meant to refer to the chains that held the evil. Others said it was simply another name for Lucas himself. Hell, a place, it's what it is. Its gate is what I have seen. A place? What kind of place, then? The storyteller stretched out a long arm and pointed at the gate. The bottom layer. If this was true, it confirmed Ludlove's very worst suspicions. Lucas himself had created the stones. But you didn't see Sigurd. Focus, Ludlove, he thought. Sigurd is what matters now. Fair one. Safe is what you must remain. Important is what you are. Then the storyteller jabbed another finger at Ludlov's chest. Keep her safe, hunter, friend. Ludlov nodded earnestly. I promise you, storyteller, I promise you. But I have also sworn that I would help her find her brother. The storyteller was undoubtedly trying to nod, but since he didn't have a neck, it came across as a very odd movement, shaking his whole upper torso. Follow the storyteller. And to a story is where he shall lead you. With those words, the creature suddenly turned away from the obsidian rock, going back in the direction from whence they had come. The creature's riddles were starting to annoy Ludlov. Wonderful. Samina ignored his remark and hastened after the storyteller. So that was this week's episode of Witch Hunter. We'll be back next Thursday with the adventures of Ludlov and Samina. If you want to find out more about Witch Hunter, you can find us at audio-epics.com and we also have a Facebook page, the Audio Epics Facebook page. Have a great week, everyone.